a thing like that, like what we developed as My Darwin, you'd expect a startup or someone else to have that thinking. You wouldn't expect inside a local government these guys to go, you know what, this is what we can do and let's go and do it. So we pitched hard with the elected members. It took two sessions. But Con Scalas was the mayor and he said, yeah, we've got to do this. We've got to keep doors open. And the community said it was the best thing that City of Darwin's ever done the whole time they've actually been around. So, And that built a lot of trust in what we're doing in that digital space and in, in the innovative space as well. Hi, Smart Community friends. In this episode of the Smart Community Podcast, I have a fantastic conversation with Josh Sattler, the co-founder of 27 Technologies and CEO of Circle Group. Josh tells us about his background in economic development and technology with local government, particularly at the city of Darwin, and how that led to the companies he has started. Josh and I discuss the potential of artificial intelligence to enhance community connectivity, as well as the benefits and risks of AI and the need for diversity in the AI space. Josh tells us about some of the possibilities of using AI in government to make data-driven decisions and how he has been using AI on a daily basis in the work that he does these days. Josh and I then discuss his work at City of Darwin, including the challenges and the project he's most proud of, the My Darwin online platform for economic stimulus that began during the early days of the pandemic and is still going strong. We finish our chat discussing the emerging trends of the way Gen Z and Generation Alpha are integrating technology as they participate in society and why co-design with young people is the next step for smart communities. As always, we hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Welcome to the smart community, smart regions, smart towns, and smart cities. It's where we live, work, and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. Hello, Josh. How are you today? Yeah, good, Zee. Good to see you again. I am so excited to see you. I feel like the last time we spoke was quite a long time ago, but I've been, well, I know that for a fact, actually. We were on some panel together. Uh, we were just talking about that. And you were still at City of Darwin, and I've been, like, trying to get you on the podcast for a while. And I don't know whether that was just in my head and trying to manifest it or whether I actually <laughs> asked you a long time ago. But anyway, here we are. <laughs> So let's just jump straight in. Can you tell us about your background and what you're passionate about? Yeah, look, uh, essentially a a long time ago, I worked at the City of Gold Coast for quite some time in economic development, took a role in Darwin as GM Innovation Growth and Development Manager under a great CEO in Scotty Waters, who's now based at at Moreton Bay, CEO there. And we did some pretty funky stuff uh, with some smart cities in the early days, 2019, left that role and came down here about a year and a half ago and was leading an economic development corporation here for a multiple series of councils in the Hunter. I've since left that role and spun up a a technology, um, a startup with my partner in crime from Darwin, Krishan Mason. So uh, we've got a, a company called 27 Technologies. And I'm also the CEO of a building uh, management group and facilities management group called Circle. And we're at, we've added uh, a vertical with regard to technologies within that company as well. And we're nationwide. So I've been pretty bloody busy, Zoe, to tell you the truth, since we left Darwin. Did some amazing stuff in Darwin, as you know, some, some ethical implementation of artificial series of smart city technology deployment. 
took the community for a journey, re-approach to privacy and everything else, did my time on Four Corners. So I've got some scars and uh, got some really good learnings and, and now somewhat playing with government from the outside to inside rather than inside trying to go outside. And it's a really cool accelerator space. I mean, I'm loving it. So great to have the chance to talk to you today uh, and share some of that stuff with the listeners. Yes. No, um, we'll talk about that in a bit more detail as well. Just well, kind of everything, because I think, yeah, you've got some amazing learning from what you could and couldn't do in government and the conversations that started and the repercussions, but then also the learnings from that as well. And I think often we don't, you only hear like the headline or the, you know, the whatever happened, or you don't hear anything about it because back then it wasn't as I don't know what the word is, but like I know some people were really into it, but then others were just like, no, I don't want to even talk about that or look at that. You know, I don't want to touch that with a 10 foot pole, that type of thing. But, you know, we are progressing. We've got like, you know, we know that technology is embedded, all that kind of stuff. We don't need to say that, but really keen to get your thoughts on how the, the whole space has changed and moved. And also then like what you've been able to do since taking those learnings from government, but then also coming in from the other side as well. But let's start broad and can you tell me what a smart community means to you? Fundamentally, it's a connected community and how we utilise technology to connect the community and the citizens is really important. You know, in the old days when people ask me what's a smart city, I'll always just say it's about giving a language to your infrastructure to tell you what's going on and how it's impacting your community. Now with the, you know, the emergence of artificial intelligence, it's really great to see how we're actually utilising that to connect with our community without too much, I guess, to make it too deliberate. So it's actually quite comfortable and opportunistic for the community to participate in. So for me, that's the exciting part, artificial intelligence and the emergence of such. Like we spoke about that in 2019 and the ethical implementation of artificial intelligence just on fixed frame images, right, on CCTV cameras to get analytics from. So to see where it's evolved to now is really exciting and we're actually using a lot of that with Circle Group as well, how we manage facilities, how we get intuition between the preventive maintenance of assets within facilities. And now to open that up to the community as well is really exciting. I'm reading a book at the moment called The Secret Network of Nature by Peter Vulben, a German forester, and he talks about nature. Nature's been somewhat been using a natural intelligence, which is fully connected, you know, trees supporting other trees underground with defence mechanisms, et cetera. This stuff's been going on for ages, but now we're putting tech into it. It becomes artificial, but it's been in nature for decades and it's, it's why we're here today and it's how we can talk to each other. So I'm really excited about it. I'm super keen about connectivity and love to see it emerge stronger within communities that are open and embraceive to it. So really keen to see where that goes and be part of it. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting one around the connectedness and, you know, often people are talking about that the community is like, when you talk about community, you can't talk about technology, like they're not combined or they're not linked or something along those lines, like it has to be either natural or computers or whatever, but we know that it's embedded, we know that that we use technology every day, even if you try not to, you are, but also the privilege of being able to like disconnect as well is also a, a thing as well when you can actually disconnect because you've got that connectivity to do your work, do your play, get medicine, participate in society, have services, those type of things. But I do think now we're having better conversations about you know what artificial intelligence can do, what are the risks, what are the things that we want it to do, what are the, like how is it used as a tool rather than it taking over. But I also think that Artificial intelligence has been used for many, many years. Like I'm 
when I was doing yeah. my data science um, degree, you know, looking at references from the 60s, right? Yeah. Like out of this machine learning stuff. But like, as you were saying, even like in 2019, some of that stuff just wasn't possible because we didn't have the compute power or the focus or whatever it was. Whereas now, you know, it's becoming mainstream and those conversations are coming mainstream, which again, has its risks and challenges, but also then we can ask better questions about it and more people have access to it, which again, brings a whole range of things with that. But what can we use it for? What can it be a tool for as we move into the future? Yeah, absolutely. And that's been a a thing of mine. You know, when someone says to me, what's innovation to you and and what's it look like? For me, I'd love people that say they're innovators that build in mistakes. You know, without mistakes, it can't be always polished and it can't be always nice and succinct and that's how it's all going to work. You know, you talk to any startup, the mistakes they learn along the way are critical to their accelerated journey and their outcomes. So anyone that's in the innovation space, which is avert to making mistakes, you're going about it the wrong way. You need to make a couple of mistakes to get the learnings quickly and learn from that to move forward with. I'm working with a few startups at the moment, and it's exactly that. I'm trying to build in some mistakes into their approach and their frameworks so that they can actually learn from and move forward and be more resilient and stronger in what their approach will be moving forward. So, And that's hard in government, right? Like Government don't yeah. like to make mistakes, especially with ratepayers' money. But you fundamentally have to have some of that at the start of the journey because if you don't, you don't get the better outcomes at the back end. And AI can help with that, with biases, et cetera. So you can build some biases in to either inhibit or accelerate some of those outcomes. So for me, it's all up to us. And like I said, with that book, if you haven't read it, read it because it's AI in the nature space and where, you know, how do earthworms, you know, influence wild boars in a forest? And actually they do. It actually, that's the way it works. So all this stuff is interconnected. And it's what we're talking about today, the interconnectedness of us as a society and using this platform to actually enable some of that. For me, the next 10 years are going to be fantastic. So I'm really excited about where we go with it. Yeah, cool. No, I um, did a, uh, I need to read that book. I'll put it on my list yeah. and we'll put it in the link in the show notes yeah. as well. But even just like some of the um, the mushroom-like world yeah, that exists. Yeah. <laughs> it's like insane, right? Like, just yeah. told us for years and we're only just starting to learn and apply it with technology now. So the recipes are there. And even when you when you look at the latest Time article, I think they had an article about a not-for-profit in India, AI for the good of the people, you know, they're putting all the, a lot of the, the Wikipedia stuff, learning languages to it, you know, 280 odd languages in Hindu or what have you. And think about the acceleration that's going to put on that middle class or the lower class emergence in India, the largest population that's faster than China. They've already overtaken China. So if you can teach and learn a whole middle class a lot quicker through AI, the benefit for that population will be enormous. And for us as a globe, it's fantastic. So there's so many bits which is touching everyone. Like I said, it's been around since the 50s or 60s. So, yeah, to get to the point now, we're actually putting some petrol in it. It's fantastic. Yeah, and I'm also really interested in who is getting involved in it now too because, you know, before it might just be the the kind of like the tech bros that could access computers, like, you know, women weren't necessarily allowed to be studying and all those type of things back in the day until we needed them to, you know, yeah. that type of thing. <laughs> And so we went, oh, shit, oh, people, oh, the other half of the population. Wouldn't it be great? Turns out they're really smart. But also different backgrounds, but then also different creativity backgrounds, like, you know, artists and things. You're seeing them work with technology as well, and you just get such an amazing array of ideas because you just people are tackling problems and, and not even 
it might even not call it problems, but they bring this kind of energy and different kind of thinking to the space. And I think we need more and more of that because otherwise, yeah, we don't want to create the world that it's only only has one lens, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 and that's critical. You know, that when we first started talking about AI, there was a lot of people saying, oh, look, you're going to lose your creativeness, you're going to lose this. You're gonna... I think it's actually the opposite. I think it'll grow to a whole new level. You know, once you're connected to multiple streams of information like this does and makes it very relative and pertinent to what your outcome wants to be, you could grow it into anything. So for me, intuition drives creativity. And as long as you can water that with the right information, you don't get fatigued with the wrong information. I think that's the next evolution of where we're going. So, you know, I use it every day in everything I do. So it's not something, whereas ask me 12 months ago, 24 months ago, I would have said, no, I'd, you know, once a week, maybe what have you. But but I'm I'm using AI in multiple forms on multiple platforms daily with great benefit. You know, I haven't grown hair back yet. Haven't figured that out yet, but I'm sure I'll find a way. <laughs> AI can do anything, right? Okay, well, let's talk about, okay, some of the projects and things we're doing, saying that you're using AI for people that are maybe coming into this space from a different background, different understanding. How are you using AI every day? Oh, from my perspective in in a a couple of different roles. So with the Circle Group, we use it for intuitive preventive maintenance. So understanding assets and building asset registers out, how we actually, I guess, maintain those assets for our client base moving forward, how we do building maintenance um, moving forward, ingesting back-end information about how many times we've been there before, looking at the product, whether it be manufacturers, warranty details, et cetera, building that into an intuitive preventive maintenance platform. We're using a lot of that at this stage with great benefit and efficiencies for our customer base, which are national and international. So that's just one example. How we used it in Darwin on fixed-frame CCTV images for analytics was probably the, the iteration prior to what we see now with generative AI. So fixed frame imaging, machine learning, et cetera. So we were drawing really important information out of fixed frames, spots in the city where we measure people, which way they're going, et cetera, et cetera. An evolution of your old heat map through Wi-Fi presence reporting, et cetera. But this is real-time data and segmented across multiple seconds or stages or hours across a fixed period of time. And for us, from a planning perspective for government, really, really important. You know, we could make data-driven decisions on, hang on, let's widen that footpath or no, hang on a second, let's actually put a crossing in here because we've seen so many people at this time of day and nearly near misses, et cetera. So how we use that moving forward in what we do and how we connect with our citizens is really, really important. And being on the outside now with government, understanding where some of these um, areas were, it's great to be able to, you know, standing the startup up with Krishan, you know, I would never have been able to achieve what we achieved in Darwin without someone like Krishan and, and more so the team around us and the CEO I had in Scott Waters. You know, Scott's just put an article out recently with Davidson Recruitment to talk about, you know, government, we need to in, you, we need to embrace artificial intelligence. We need to do it now. We're working with our partners and suppliers that already use it and we're just constrained because we don't know how or are unwilling to. So expect a real shift in government with artificial intelligence moving forward, whether it's through procurement, whether it's through just everyday services delivered to the community, or whether it's just with community interaction, you know, a chatbot for customer service on their website. You know, we look at that and go, well, easy. But for governments looking, oh, no, we can't do that. We've got teams of 25 people and we've got five-day response times, et cetera, et cetera. So it's all about, well, hang on a sec, this can actually enable greater outcomes for your community, which is sort of what you're supposed to be doing, right, in government. And move forward, it actually pivots us to being a lot more efficient for what we do every day of the week with the operation. 
I laughed every now and then. I, I said, well, surely we could place, replace elected members with artificial intelligence, learn from the other elected members, and we don't have to deal with the next elected members. But I, I don't think we'll get there yet. Maybe 10, 15 years from now, maybe, maybe. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> no, I think there's so much in that as well. And I I think the getting in there and understanding it and whether it's, you know, uh, like you said earlier, being able to do a pilot and, and plan to fail. But when I say pilot, it's not just because, like, the word pilot's kind of got a bit of a bad name, like, oh, it was just pilot after pilot. But, no, it's actually about piloting then to scale. So you can do your little trial, your little sandbox, and it's sometimes not very little, but it's actually about because you can't just throw this in and go, this is how we're doing this now. People work in government. Like, it's not the government, right? People are working in government. So we need to bring them along the journey. They might need new skill sets. They might need you might need to hire people. You might need to bring, you know, whatever it is. But it's a change management process, right? And you also have to then show them that it's not replacing their job. It's a tool to help them to to have more space to be creative, right? And, like, people often say, oh, well, that's very optimistic and blah, blah, blah. But you think about some of the things that have really changed our lives and the lives of people that work in government as well. It's a progression, right? Like, you know, we no longer, like I think about when I first started engineering, we had chainmen, which, you know, would go along the road and that's how they did surveys and things like that. And, you know, they they were called chainmen because, and now on the road, there's a chainage. So when you're driving along the road, I mean, no one else needs to know it. Um, It's just when you're doing... um like you're redoing a road, you've got, oh, well, chainage blah is like chainage 3,700 and whatever, you know that that's that spot, blah, blah, yep. blah. It would be wild to think now to go back, oh, well, actually, no, we forget about that kind of survey technology we have now. We're going back to this because, you know, we've decided that there's too many whatever's blah, 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 blah. And like, that's a crazy, stupid example. But if you think about this, how these things shift and change over time, but then also, I was even thinking like me and my, I used to always be the youngest person. Now I'm not. Um, but that's fine it. in an office. But even just the way that I use my phone comparatively to some, uh, like the next generation or the generation above me is just through learned behavior. It's not because the technology, sorry, the technology shifted and changed, but actually I also, as a human, have learned, well, you know, my first phone was a, was a landline. And, you know, that's how my friends would have to get in contact me, do three-way chats and blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. But then when you got a mobile phone, it was very expensive to call, you know, to text, blah, blah, blah. So then you have certain learned behaviours and they shift over time as well. Now it's like intrusive if you're calling someone for just, a you know, a no reason, like all these things. And I think then when COVID happened, you then had to learn different behaviours about what, like, you know, now we're all on Teams or Slack or whatever, yep. whatever. Yep. And what's appropriate to email, what's appropriate to this, that, and the other. So there's all these etiquettes and things that we all learn as well. And I think we often forget about that when we're thinking about technology, but it's so intertwined. Like exactly like you said, it's the nature thing as well. We learn these things. We think we can just, oh, well, now here's a new thing and everyone's going to know how to use it and how we lead in this digital world and all those type of things are going to come in. That was a very long explanation of I don't even know what question, but it was more like how integrated that I think we often forget that government is full of people that are trying to do the best that they can do most of the time, depending on where you live, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
So I think, yeah, we need to then, yeah, work with the people and, and realise those human elements of that as we move and, forward. And, and funny enough, you know, we give government a bad rap every now and then or most of the time or most people that haven't worked in government do. But really, they're there because they want to be there. They're there to help community. That's that got them, got them into that role. You know, they love what they do. And sometimes they're just, because of the bureaucracy and, and what they're doing currently with whatever municipal plan, wherever they're up to, they're diamonds at the bottom of a cave, right? But to give them the opportunity to, to pull themselves out of that, whether through innovation or creativity or technology, we've got the bits to do that. No longer can you just hide in a borough somewhere in a government department and just rust out. You know, the governments that are really doing some good stuff, especially in local government, are really pulling those diamonds up and letting them shine, giving them the opportunity to shine. And technology enables that, right? Like, and I'm sure artificial intelligence will, ex- intelligence will accelerate that for a lot of people as well. So I think a lot of people will embrace technology a lot easier now. And you're right, you know, it took a global pandemic for people to say, oh, hang on a sec, maybe we can get greater productivity if we work from home for two days a week. Whereas before, you would have put that forward, it would have been like a Jerry Maguire moment, right? Like catcher in the ride. Do not rob, put that down on paper. You'll never manage anyone in sport ever again. But this is what's happening. And I, and I love it. I love the fact that we had to go through it. We come out of it even better, bolder and stronger and more attuned now to technology than what we were 10 years ago. So there's positives in a crisis always. And I think we've done that. Yeah. And I think we're asking better questions as well. And I think I've said that at least 15 times in this conversation <laughs> But I just think about like before it was we weren't asking questions of, well, is it okay that uh, my activity is being tracked? And, you know, some things start to happen and you go, oh, Microsoft knows that I've been having this many meetings, blah, blah, blah. Who should have that information? Should I have them? Should my employer have that information? What's happening? And, you know, there's a whole range of different things in there as well. But it gets you thinking about these things and I think then it pushes change as well. I've been doing a lot in cybersecurity lately and um, then it just gets me more and more thinking about like all of the the things that people will use. But the number one thing in cybersecurity is humans, right? And people talk about that being the weakness, but actually it could be the strength and an opportunity, you know, but things like social engineering people, um, which obviously is an awful term, used back in the day but it's it's a term that, that we use now in social in, in cybersecurity but it's actually about manipulating people to get you to click on the link or this that and the other but all those human elements if we don't focus on them then you know you, if someone gets in there the technology there might be things that obviously then you have it's a combination of both of protection and whatever else but if somebody can get into your building and get onto your phone that's unlocked or whatever then they've got unauthorized you know they've got authorized suppose like according to the technologies access so they can do whatever they want anyway it just got me really thinking about all these other things that we're doing and and then but asking those questions and then making small changes but then the more people that do that then we can really shift the dial and make yeah. a big change because i think people often are thinking that they can't have an impact that things are just going to go on without them but it's yeah. totally not true and again it has like pros and cons of more voices and, and things like that, that meaning that everyone's voice is seemingly as loud as each other when maybe some shouldn't be as loud as others yeah. and things yeah. like that. But I think we work with it and we, you know, move forward in that space yeah. as well. Oh, another rant about something <laughs> that you did not even mention. No, I'm kidding. Um, well, I'm not. I need to stop ranting. I'm looking at the time. Oh, my God. Let's keep going. So any other projects and things that you want to talk about or I guess like, 
your time in Darwin, you were there for how long? Like three and a half years, four Nearly years? four years, yeah, nearly, yeah. nearly four, yeah. And what was the most exciting project that you worked on and what was the most challenging? The most exciting was um, my Darwin. So I'm not sure whether you're across that one. So if we're in Darwin, we're, we're a pretty well-off council. We probably bring in with car parking revenue around $7-odd million a year and it just sort of gets put in this little golden compartment and it helps keep rates down. So the councillors don't like to touch it. It's a reserve. We put it over there. We've got money and we can keep rates down by putting it back into the budget for next year. Obviously, through COVID, shops are closing. We were lucky in Darwin. We've got nine days worth of lockdown, right, compared to the rest of Australia, two and a half years or whatever. We were lucky. We were just still doing stuff up there. But nine days was pretty a big deal when you've got businesses which are day to day. Small businesses, you know, if they don't do that, if they don't open that day, they might not even open tomorrow. And that's in the city. So we had an opportunity then to, so instead of waiting for state government and federal government to say, oh, here's all the economic stimulus, because these shops, once they close, they're not coming back. So they're moving into state, they're gone, see you later, we lose ratepayers, et cetera, we lose jobs. So for us, what could we do? So Krishan and I sat down and we said, okay, well, how do we grab that golden egg, that goose laid for car parking? How do we redeploy that and incentivize people to go out and spend more money? So we, we come up with the My Darwin initiative. It was a web-responsive browser we built with a colleague up there in, in Tuan, basically a website. It worked out digital discounts associated with every 24 hours with each user. So we got, I think we got 40,000 users in five weeks register on the platform. We got 450 businesses. And all of a sudden, here we were pulling money out of car parking revenue out of that golden egg putting it into a platform with a fear of missing out, right? Because it had a little dial there, the money was running out. And we offered discounts that were directly paid to the shop owners, but they were spent by people willing to go in and buy something. So you get a 25% discount on purchases from $5, $10, $15, and I think $20. And anything over and above that, we took as, well, that's just the leverage of every single dollar we put in. So at the end of it, every single dollar we put into the platform and was used, we got a seven to one return into the till. So where people were were spending a dollar, they were getting $7 put in their till, but we're only having to pay out 25% back to the shop owner, which we did very quickly within five days. So that expelled, that'd give the customer the discount. Within five days, they were getting paid by City of Darwin back in their bank account. And we reconciled everything online, like it was fully an immersive platform. A thing like that, like what we developed as My Darwin, you'd expect a startup or someone else to have that thinking. You wouldn't expect inside a local government these guys to go, you know what, this is what we can do and let's go and do it. So we pitched hard with the elected members. It took two sessions, but Convert Scarlas was the mayor and he said, yeah, we've got to do this. We've got to keep doors open. And the community said it was the best thing that City of Darwin's ever done the whole time they've actually been around. So and that built a lot of trust in what we were doing in that digital space and in, in the innovative space as well. So we white-labeled it. It went all around the, the countryside and other, other people used it, et cetera. So that, for me, was one of the, the real standouts. How do I get a local government head playing in a startup space delivering outcomes to the community? That's exactly what we did. And we didn't wait around for someone else to tell us what to do either. We just went and did it. So that was really cool. And that's still going now. For me, what really gets me out of bed is being involved in programs and projects where I can have a legacy outcome. So even if I'm not there, things will still keep going and churning and deliver for community. And I'm having great success doing that now with the guys from Circle Group, but more so in the private space, 
and with 27 technologies, that's our space. You know, we're, we've got capability across Colombo and Singapore and, you know, we come up with a crazy idea and the next minute me and Krishan are actually building it. And, hey, guess what, guys? We can actually build this and solve your $12 billion of planning approvals backed up in New South Wales. We're already off doing that. So we've got a, an intrinsic view of how where things are broken and how we can fix them. And now with our connections, we, we can enable some of this stuff. So it's almost like we're, we're capes, right? Like we're out there, superheroes out there just trying to fix things that, that people are quite happy to walk past, whereas we're not. And that's a, a part of the DNA, which both Krishan and I captured and now we're moving forward with and doing some good stuff with the circle group as well. So it's pretty exciting. But yeah, that would have been the t-shirt wearing thing out of Darwin, which I think will stick in the memory bank for a long time. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I like that. And I, I have seen it pop up in other places as well since then. I want you to tell us a little bit more about the 27 group as well. But I also want you to tell us about the most challenging thing uh, working in Darwin. Oh, let's start with the most challenging thing. For me, it was the community. And I guess coming out, being in local government where communities are already like that with you anyway, I, you know, I don't like that seat you put in over there or what have you. So you get pulled into a lot of that with the community stuff. For me, the, the community was challenging, but it's also probably one of the greatest achievements as well, bringing those guys through along the journey with us as well. So although it was really challenging and trying to, to sift through what the elected member was saying in the chamber to what's actually happening on the street are two different things. You know, they might get stopped by two people, but actually 150 people are actually really happy with what's going on. Well, they didn't stop you to tell you that because they don't want to float your boat. But at the end of the day, the data which connected that piece to the community really, really was good in Darwin. Started terrible, was a pile of steaming mess, but we left there for something nice and shiny and something you can build upon. So that was probably the hardest bit. With 27 Technologies, so again, Krishan and I stood this up, we just saw a real need in the marketplace to look at, you know, how do we build in tech stack across the country development that's bespoke and unique to what the solution uh, is actually required and Krishan and I have got partners in Colombo and Sri Lanka and also in Singapore that help enable some of this as well. So that was 27 Technologies. And I guess we just got sort of sick of the snake oil and, and the stuff that was floating around and the, the salesman stuff in technology. And we just thought we, we've got to get through the weeds here and just do it ourselves. And essentially, that was a bit of the My Darwin recipe, right? Like if we went out to the market with a, an RFP, oh, can someone build us this six months down the track? Someone's going to build it for us and it's going to charge us $250,000. The, the opportunity has gone. So it, you just need to accelerate and enable a lot better with what you offer. And I think that was our opportunity with 27 Tech. And, and now what we do with Circle Group, we've ingested that vertical and we apply technology to facilities and program and preventive maintenance across massive infrastructure rollouts, whether it be ports, airports, everything. And we apply that. So you've got a symbiotic relationship between technology and hard and fast infrastructure and all the while um, supporting the community which wraps around it. So it's again, it's that nature thing, right? So refer back to the book. It's stuff that's been going on for a while, but we're only just getting the tools to put it in our workplace and communities now and actually enable some of it. So for me, that's the exciting bit. And it's all been about timing as well and the people you pick up along the way, you know, having great conversations uh, with Nicole Stevenson at Trust360, TrustWorks360, and some of the other people we've worked with along the way to enable and accelerate some of this stuff as well. So we've built a bit of an army, which is great, but yeah, it's it's a war out there, but so we're doing some good stuff anyway. So it's exciting. 
Yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, let's zoom to the future now. And what are the emerging trends that people aren't talking about enough? Wow, I've banged on about artificial intelligence. And I think people probably talk about it in the wrong ways. You know, they're hung up on the artificial part of it. So intelligence, for that matter, I think will is the exciting bit moving forward. For me, I look at my kids. I've got 16-year-old boys. I've got a 24-year-old daughter, two 16-year-old boys, twins, and a 14-year-old boy. And to see what they're doing already, you know, drop shipping and all this sort of stuff, it's the acceleration that's coming behind us is phenomenal. So I'm not necessarily looking to the future in that perspective, but I'm more looking inside at a family unit and seeing what these guys are actually embracing moving forward and, and what are some of the opportunities and, and what are their heads going to be thinking about how they participate in society moving forward? You know, it's really exciting to see. So I always had a funny thing when I worked in Darwin. I'd love to employ, you know, a 12-year-old or between 12 and 16-year-old just to get that uninhibited thought process around innovation and things like that. And I love to see what's coming through behind us. It's really, really exciting. So maybe they'll tell us, you know, my head's sort of spent and I'm reading books about nature rather than reading textbooks about artificial intelligence. I see the connectedness really important. So let's connect back with our kids and the kids that we're trying to shape futures for and ask them the question about what they want before we start building it. Absolutely. I think it's so important. Like, I've had lots of conversations on the podcast around having children's like committees and things like that. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, which is cool. But also, yeah, just the absolutely gold that could come out of that as well. And obviously, you're going to get some crazy things that might not be possible right now. But, you know, they could be possible in the very near future. And also the thought, yeah, like you said, the thought process behind it is uninhibited by, you know, they haven't been dragged down by... Yeah. <laughs> existential crisis or society <laughs> and yeah i did a um an engineering like a stem day or whatever at one of the universities at qt actually and it was uh kids asking questions like shoot like young uh span of kids and i forgot that you know they're gonna ask me things like is dirt always a solid you know like and yeah. how does electricity work and does technology come from space was the first yeah. <laughs> one that I got. And and I just went, oh, that's right. Okay, hang on. Get out of like, they're not going to ask me, oh, if I would like a career in STEM, what should I do first? Whatever. Yeah. But it was just amazing and I, and I loved it. And you've got to, I, I think the imagination and the creativity is there and how we don't like lose that as we go, as we get older, but also bringing that fresh thinking in and whether it's young, like very young or even just like from a different business background or whatever. Like different culture. Different, different culture. Yeah. And you can just get the most amazing ideas and things and shift and change. And I also often talk about smart community and like using technology as the tools and enablers and data and all that kind of stuff. For local councils and government, it's a necessity if they want to attract the talent that they need in the future because there's no way that somebody is going to come into an organization that's like, I don't know, paper-based or something or like that there's this 1980. Really, yeah. Yeah, inefficient process. There was like, what the hell? Like, no, this is wasting my time. I want to deliver for the community. I want to, you know, do whatever X, Y, Z. And I think we really need to do that, particularly in regional areas and things like that as well. Like connectivity and all those type of things. It's not just like, oh, wouldn't that be nice to have? It's an absolute necessity. And, right. yeah, how we do that? Because it won't make sense to do it differently. It's like dislocated, completely yeah. dislocated. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. Uh, so where to next for smart communities? Oh, look, where to next? Uh, you know, from my perspective, I'm on the outside working uh, with government now and, and other corporations. So I think that we asked and we're talking about the youth and I asked the youth committee early days when I came down here a year and a half ago, what does this city look like? For What does Lake Macquarie look like? 220 odd thousand people, high retiree age, but there's a lot of young people coming through. What do you want to see? And I thought they'd come back to me and say, oh, you know, a surfing wave pool. I want high rise apartments over here. You know what? They came back to me and said, we don't want the picket fence. We don't want the dog. We want to feel connected with our environment. We want to have spaces where we can go and feel like we're connected with our community. Arts and culture was high on the agenda, more so than sporting and recreation. So for me, that was a real sit back in your chair, Josh, and listen in because these guys aren't where you want to go. They're actually back here, which is nice and comforting. So for me, it's almost like a de-evolution of where we think development is going and how sustainable development looks and how people want to live is very, I guess, stripped back to a minimalism now where less impact, greater outcome is high on their agenda. So all the days of my economic development all the way through Gold Coast and everywhere else have now, hang on, you've got to put a different lens on this because if you want to attract this, these people to stay in your city, you've got to enable some of this stuff. These spaces you've got are actually places already you don't need to add seats. You don't need to add Wi-Fi. You don't need to add this because people are going to linger there anyway. This next generation may not have captured my generation or the generation before me, but this is what they want. So there's a real pillback happening that I can see, and I'm pretty pretty stoked about it. But how we enable it and how we get the decision makers across the line with it is a difficult part of the process. So we've got to make sure they're data-driven and they're understanding connected with their community first and foremost. So for me, that's the exciting bit. I'm okay with that. I can go surfing in, at the beach rather than a wave pool. So for me, hey, that works. That's fine. Yeah, I think that co-design process, and you know, that's a bit of a buzzword, but when you do it properly, that's you get such gold. And I think people, when they talk about data, they think, oh, just numbers and ones and zeros or whatever. No, the stories are important and the co-design, like you've got to marry those things together. The insights, yeah. Exactly. But like you were talking about earlier, if you only, like with the uh, elected officials, they got two people to say, I, I hate this thing, so then, you know, everything, whereas, yeah, yeah the 150 ha- haven't told you that. So you then need to do marry up, you know, what you hear with the hard numbers and, and, and those type of things, and they need to complement each other. And we're going to see more and more of that. And it's not as, it's not as like sexy as like, you know, the, the widget or whatever, but that's really where we have to go in this space. Because if we don't, then yeah, we're doing it to people and not for people and with people and you won't be able to, right? Yeah. And then, you'll be on a... four corners again. Oh, exactly. And I don't particularly want to do that, but I'm working with a good company at the moment called GovConnects. And, and what they try and do is bring in some transparency into the, the hoo-ha around political in the government relations space. So they look at state, local and federal governments and who's talking about what, what they're saying, et cetera. So basically a big scrape. And this is, you know, for me as a local member, I can go, okay, well, what, what are they saying about climate change? Who's saying it? And what are they saying? It'll bring me and all the politicians that are talking about it, what they've said, when they've said it, what election commitments they've got. So from a political engine perspective, this platform is fantastic and such a critical enabler for every local government to be connected other than through a mayor into a state member of parliament. Guess what, guys? You can get a clear, transparent view of actually what's happening from a political landscape. And most times elected members are just part-timers or not even that, right? So they're not actually, they don't have time to actually do their role properly other than sit in the chamber. But they've got to read copious amounts of agenda papers and make decisions on them. 
without understanding the politics behind them. So those types of initiatives like this organisation, GovConnects, are critical for greater and more empowered decision-making in the political landscape inside our local governments and state governments for that matter, which is really cool to see happen and, and start uh, start bubbling away. So I'm working with those guys at the moment, which I'm sure a lot of local governments will put their hand up and say, hey, okay, hang on, how do we get access to this thing? We, we actually need this. We can't keep listening to the mayor who's already aligned to this party and they're only hearing from what's happening from that party perspective. We need to deliver for our local community. So I'm liking the looks of an evolution in that part of politics inside local government, which is exciting. Mm. Yeah, no, that's great. I'll have to check it out as well. We'll put the link in mm. the show notes. Because, yeah, I think opening up that access again to uh, information that is publicly available, right? Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. and but it's about curating that to them what, you know, the purpose is that you're trying to achieve, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, Josh, it's been so great to have you on the podcast. I've really enjoyed this conversation and I look forward to catching up in person Good. sometime real soon. Fantastic. Um, just one last question. How can people connect with you? Oh, look, either through LinkedIn or through 27 Tech or Circle Group, reach out at any point. More than happy to answer any questions and, and tee up a, a chat if you're finding something difficult in, a, in your tech space or government space or whatever space. More than happy to have a conversation anytime. So, yeah, feel free to, to reach out. And, and thanks, Zoe. It's been great to talk to you. As I said, we, we've sort of been meaning to do this for quite some time, but it's good we've finally done it. And let's catch up in Sydney when you're down. Yes, let's do it. Well, thanks again for coming on to the podcast and we'll talk real soon. Great. Thanks, Zoe. Thanks. Bye. Bye. The Smart Community Podcast is brought to you by My Smart Community. If you're trying to deal with disruption, not sure what technologies to buy, need to facilitate genuine collaboration, then we can help. Email hello at mysmart.community or head to www.mysmart.community forward slash consulting. Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.community slash podcast. If you have any questions for us or any of our guests, you can email hello at mysmart.community. You can also find us on the socials. We are on LinkedIn and Twitter at SmartComHQ. That's com with two M's. If you are enjoying the podcast, please hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And we would love for you to leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears and eyes. So thank you for your support. As always, we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for.